0: Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms, we talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Keena, first of all, I must make a declaration to you. So be patient with me while I do. You win the award as the most patient, the most gracious, the most open and compromising guest that I've ever had in the history of guests. And that's in over 100 shows. Thank you for your ongoing willingness to be here and show up for another sister who gets a little distracted and has too much going on. I appreciate you.
1: Well, you are welcome and I understand about life be life in, and every here. So no judgment, no <laughs> just that we were able to finally get it, all the stars aligned to make it just manifest.
0: I'm glad to hear that. I want to start by asking you about a quote that means a lot to you and I've seen it in a couple of different places and I want you to just talk about it a little bit. The cause of freedom is not the cause of a race or a sect, a party or a class. It is the cause of humankind, the birthright of humanity. Anna Julia Cooper. Talk about what that means to you.
1: Oh, wow. So I think that Black folks throughout the African diaspora, but in particular within the context of the United States, descendants of enslaved folks have been able to have a very unique, And I would even say like a high level understanding of how this country functions, of how this country's systems functions, of how the ideologies function. We're acutely aware of what's working, but also doesn't work. And so what our ancestor and Julian Cooper are saying that in order for us to house humanity, we have to stop relying on these systems that have created hierarchies based off of race and gender and you know all those things so that everyone could be included in what we would call the, the the project of humanity and i think that what's especially inspiring about anna julia cooper is that she is a black woman who was born enslaved hmm. and she is one of the first people that we see as a published scholar right she's a sociologist she's a theologian. I mean she his sister was bad to the bone and she is the epitome of someone who has been at the at the bottom, right? Like the bottom of the bottom of society and knows the darkest level of depravity that can happen. But also like being what black women are, what black folks are, a solution. And if we are going to have shared humanity manifest in our lifetime then that requires us to stop relying on these caste systems that have been created largely by white males for their success
0: and for them to thrive. That's amazing. Statement number two by Keenan. Ready? I often find my words feeling limited by not speaking my four parents' tongue, but I still speak. I just find that so powerful. I really want you to talk about what that means to you. About so a
1: few years ago, actually on my 40th birthday, I gave myself the gifts of ancestry to like, I wanted to know, uh, what's my show? How black are you? You know, <laughs> like, how, oh, oh, how am I? You know, and so I gave myself the gifts of ancestry and found out I was like 90. Well, at the time I thought I was 93% African. Ancestry.com has gone back and, and, and reduced those numbers. So 91% apparently. But this longing for home place has existed for a long time. And when I found that information out, when I found out exactly how African I am, it just made that longing even stronger. I've been in places where there are beautiful Nigerians. You know what I'm saying? Like beautiful yeah people from Senegal, you know, like beautiful African people yeah. and they are yeah. speaking a tribal tongue. And, and, and I'm, you know, like want to go up there and be like, Hey, I wonder if like, y'all are my people. <laughs> like, where do I fit in to that story? Cause there is for the descendant of enslavement, there is a home place for us that is not the United States. That's not the what. It's not the place we've landed. Uh, we have more. But it's hard to get to that because of enslavement, right? And so I, I, I believe for myself, and I don't want to speak for any other Black folks. I don't want to speak, you know, Black people's truth. But for me, I really realized that English was a language that I wasn't ever supposed to speak in a sense that <laughs> like, the violence of chattel slavery has relocated people, you know? English is not the only colonial language that exists, right? Mm-hmm. Spanish is another one. But just once we recognize that a lot of us are out here speaking languages that, honestly, they're not ancestral. And I just have a desire to know the language that I was born into. And I will always try to find out where I fit in, in that story, in that African narrative and
0: those stories. It touched me so much when First I read time. that because that, that's my story. You know, when I, when I hear immigrants from African Africa talk about their, their experience uh, in a class, this Nigerian doctor told me about things her mother put in place in their culture for her and, to be able to see. be where she is. And man, I felt so envious. And I said that to her. I was like, you know what? I got to tell you, I feel so envious that you have the, the pieces of this story. And now you live this life and, you know, you probably won't over assimilate because you have something to turn to and understand and reflect upon. And I feel so deprived. So that's why that statement meant so much to me. And I wanted you to share your version of what it meant to you.
1: And I just want to highlight that that is nobody else's experience. Right. Like I cannot overstate that. So that's her. Sometimes people try to conflate slavery with immigration, like Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson. I don't know if you remember a couple of years stop, ago.
0: Stop, stop. Which, you know,
1: <laughs> but he did. He was like, in my, I think he even said it, like, in my ancestors immigrated here. And it's like, that's what, well, that's what we're doing now. Like That's what we're calling the forced transportation of millions of African people, right? But the reality is it doesn't matter how violent someone's immigration story is. And some of those immigration stories are indeed violent, right? Like Absolutely. People from Mexico, people from just different parts of the world, mm-hmm. their immigration story is filled with violence. But ours is not an a immigration story. Nobody else has that. Because even if you said, I had to flee, right? I had to flee X country because this was violent you still know where you could return. You still have names and places that are attached. So even if you have to leave a place and come to the United States because of war or famine, whatever, you still know to say, well, I'm from this place. And that is something that the descendants of enslaved folks don't have access to.
0: And, and just the, the numerous endless ways that, that specific experience impacts us is never-ending.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Agree. I agree. Appreciate that. So, you know, I was thinking about your eight nieces and nephews. <laughs> and I want to know, what do you work or want them to have? Like, what do you work for them to have or want them to have that you didn't have access to?
1: Oh, wow. This is such a good question. Thank you for asking it. Sure. I mean, the first one is, what does it mean to grow up and, and feel like the color of your skin is not a crime? Mm. Right? Like, just, like, mm. what what's the, I woke up like this, mm-hmm. you, know I'm you know, like, I feel like, however you wake up as a Black person, it's okay. And it is only recently, obviously, going to Jamaica where I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to walk around in skin that's not a crime. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yes.
1: And that was because Jamaica is like, I don't know the numbers, but it's a black, it's black black country. And so I think that's the first thing I would want for them is to, to grow up feeling like everything they are is not criminal. The second thing, and I love that as an uh, I've been able to do that which is just to install into them how beautiful valuable we are as people of the diaspora with all my nieces I, especially uh, like my nieces I do this I do this with my nurses too but I'm just saying like your skin is beautiful your lips is be- your hair is beautiful you know what I'm saying because no one told me that growing up and I think my family I mean just maybe assumed that we felt pride, but really making it super clear that everything we are is beautiful, that black people are a solution, that we're not a problem. And then the last thing, the third thing I would say I want my nieces and then, my niblings to grow up with is feeling like they're on their best days. They are still excellent. Mm. You know, I am. Vehemently opposed to the concept of black excellence. You will not hear me say. Well, let me just say this: deliver, Kina, because it took a while for me to get there. So maybe fifteen years ago I stated, but this not not today, right? <laughs> you will never hear me tell a black person, you know, you got to work ten times harder, do two percent. The days of us having to do ten percent harder, work three hundred percent. I, I I I am black liberation to me is also black mediocrity.
0: I love it. I love it. You got some great lines, man. You've got some great I, lines. I mean, think
1: about it. Like, what's it look like? You know, four hundred years of us just what you doing, chilling? Are you like selling it up anymore? So that's the third thing. I'm never gonna tell them. Like, you gotta want ten times harder. No,
0: that is the message I grew up with. You got to wear. Oh, I I mean,
1: that, that, that was, I'm here with you. I call it the, the, I call that the legacy of Huxtable,
0: right? Say say more.
1: Because if you grew up in the eighties and in the nineties, like for me, I'm a, I'm a cusper, right? Like I claim generation X real, real heavy. uh, But I acknowledge that I'm on the cusp where X meets millennial, right? You know? Don't call me a geriatric though. It makes me Well
0: matter. watch right. my watch my hand go up, Gaylon. Yeah. yeah, well
1: I don't claim that thing. You go ahead if you want to. I'm just not telling that X name, all right? Alright. like it was uh family matters, it was the cosby show, right? Like these mm-hmm. there's this era of pop culture where black people are finally suburbanized, right? Like we finally live in nice neighborhoods. You get what I'm saying? And looking back at it, you can say, "Oh, that programming was also encoding assimilation scripts inside of us, right?" Like, let's just keep it above. Did you ever watch the Cosby Show, mm-hmm. JD? Did you watch it? Of course. Would well, you <laughs> ever see Claire with a hair and on? Now, come on. Now we already know. You don't. <laughs> That's, you right. 13, look, don't teach that look, don't matter how good your hair is. <laughs> without, hair. come on, where's your, where's your bonnet? Right, yeah. none right. of them got no scarves on. What? No red right. caps here. Okay, not <laughs> unrealistic, but we can't be fully black on the Cosby Show, right? Because mm-hmm. we this this is assimilated black. This is suburbanite black, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I think that the legacy of like. Assimilate, assimilate, be likable, be likable, Shh. work harder, work harder. Prove to them you're deserving of safety and well-being and rest. Right. Well, has it worked? How- That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Has it worked?
0: No. And, and I get that. I just want to, I want to have you dig into that a little bit deeper and talk about how that plays out in white spaces. Cause they're used to seeing us running twice as fast and working 10 times harder. So how does that play out? How does that, you know, I'm, I'm like
1: excellence and that's working 10 times harder? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that's, that's the narrative that we've been handed. You have to reach out.: well, One excellence.
1: of them: I, Yeah, well, one of them, I can immediately say, and I'm saying this from a like, lot like as a like, diversity equity inclusion consultant, there's this concept called Pets to threat. And you'll have to excuse me, maybe in the show notes, you can name the person that's coined after with the brilliant Black woman whose name escapes me right now, okay. who coined that term. But really, it's about what happens when you're so great at work that eventually people start being intimidated by you. And then before you know it, they're going to try to push you off the door because you're seen as a threat now, right? So that's the first thing that comes to mind. You're doing, t- you're working 10 times harder, right? And initially, your 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 boss, your manager, your team they are excited because they're the reason why you came, right? (laughs) So they're like, "Yes, you're making us all look (laughs) good." But then, but then, things get a little fuzzy because they're like, "Wait, you're you're getting promoted? Wait, you are you get? Wait, you're getting more money? Wait, can you take my My job? Yeah. Yeah, I can take your job." you got this completely hell here. I got this job because I had 10 degrees wrote 5 different grants. I'm better than you are so that's the first thing the second thing there's emotional costs involved in operating and this labor condition and this labor force for anybody so it doesn't even matter what your racial or ethnic identity if you are working in the United States right now, rather you're working at the bank, rather you're teaching school, rather you're a nurse, the labor conditions are fraught. They're taxing for everybody. But the more vulnerable you are, the more you wear the cost of it, the burden of it, right? And so I think that given the kind of conditions of how work, contemporary work functions, When you're showing up and you're the first one there and the last one to leave, your body's going to reckon with that, the stress of it, right, the sleeplessness. We have reporting from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, and I cited that on purpose so people could know I'm not making stuff up, that says that Black, all Americans have been experiencing poor sleep in the last couple of years. But you want to guess which Americans are getting the worst sleep? And then a mountain of different physical and mental health concerns that come up when people are getting rest, right? So you working 10 times harder, you leaving the office every, you know what I'm saying, later than everybody else. There's a physical and mental cost to your body from that. It's not a sustainable project.
0: And this idea of of lazy, man, drives me crazy when people use lazy. There's nothing lazy about our people.
1: First of all, this is probably the only millennial thing about me. Show me the receipt. How do you fix your fate to say that about the people who built the capital? Not once for free, but twice. Who built the infrastructure with the exception of some other groups of folks, right? Of the country. Who make up a greater majority of the, the labor force per capita? It don't even make sense. But let's just say that was the case. Let's just say we go to work. And we don't do the job and stuff like that. Again, my energy here is four hundred years. Give me four hundred years of us not doing. Sh- I don't know if I can cuss on your podcast and Yeah, but that's the way. Of us not doing shit. You get what I'm saying? So, like, not that that is true, right? But if it were, what's the problem? Right.
0: And solid. You know,
1: if I used to be what I like to call a respectable Negro. Thankful Lord for deliverance, but in my most respectable Negro days, that was me. Like, oh my gosh, get out, job, get Um, out! Look at them in the store with the full stamps. I ain't talking about something I heard. I'm telling you about somebody I was, right? And now I look back. Obviously, I'm so glad that that's not my positionality anymore. But it doesn't make sense, like. I'm critiquing people who are on welfare, who who have, you know, steak in their grocery cart. But I wasn't giving any of that energy to the corporate welfare abusers that have been existing for all times in this country. If there is anyone who should be sitting up there with lost their steak in a grocery cart, it should be the descendants of enslaved people who have never received reparations for building this place for free. Hmm. Back up off me. So my energy is you're going to get what I bring to the table and be happy about it. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. And also, because you, you really hit something here. Like, it's incongruent with the history. Like, make it make sense that we, the descendants of enslaved people, are the people who came up with grind cult- culture, no days off. How does that make sense when our ancestors literally couldn't take days off? And if I am to be my ancestors' wildest dreams, why would I be sitting here doing something that they would have wished they could have done? Like, I don't know, take a nap.
0: You are great. I really, really love it. I just love it. I could listen to you for a long time. Let me tell you that much. Okay. I want to reflect on that a little bit before I go to the next question. So you have this culture that we're creating where you're getting what I what I bring to the table. I'm I'm no longer trying to do all that I've done before. But white bodies will see that shit. And white supremacy will see that shit. How do people not lose their jobs? You know,
1: I'm going to not answer your question, but I'm going to make an attempt anyway. Okay. I can no longer afford to collude with whiteness and supremacy culture because everyone loses in it. Whiteness doesn't concede anything. And as we can see, it's parasitical. It will devour its own. So for me, and this is my truth, it doesn't have to be anybody else's. But the cost of colluding with whiteness is too high. It's too high.
0: Oh, you answered that question all right. Yes, you did. Additionally, if I may just add a piece to that, you lose or you lose. That's work. You know, if you lose a job, you get another job and and you're going to find the job that's going to respect what you're bringing to the table. That is a part in our lives where hopefully we stop living in such fear. That little part, you know, that if we have the qualifications, we continue to show up, we're going to find our place.
1: And I want to give a very (laughs) weird metaphor here, but it might resonate with some people. I am a single straight woman. So, Cuban sad music. Okay. It's like, that to the sound effect. You know, like, so sad. And oftentimes, but not when I meet a man initially, you know, in the early days, I find myself being like, what, what women have you been talking to? Like, who have you been in association with? Right. And that's not a critique of women, but what I'm saying is, like, certain things can only be done or said because no one else checked you before. All right? Maybe another way to think about this is with kids. You've never been around a kid and you, like, you could tell nobody gives them direction because you just go, you don't care, okay. right? You just know. You know you know what I'm saying? Like you like ain't nobody at home giving them any stewardship. You know what I'm saying? Like you just wilding out here. <laughs> and so that's because no one set a standard. So you best believe if we as a community stood up and all decided we we, we are tapping out of this uh oh, ten times harder, that would be talking to no normal. Right? After one people would just stop doing shit. You know. Like Okay, employ if I am if I am Tom. My name is Tom Jones, and I've got a hundred black people working at my company. All right, and ninety of them only work on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Guess what? The ten not work on Friday. even he he know we found they just start working on and Thursday, because the other ninety created a precedent.
0: Oh man, that is so good. Look, let me just add my version of that, which is. If every football player walked off the entire NFL when Kaepernick kneeled, there would be no football.
1: Listen, can we talk about it? Can we talk about it? And people still think it would have taken a month to Sunday. Maybe two Sundays at most. It's two. I, and I'm, I'm stretching with the two Sundays. One Sunday. All the Negroes. Nope. Nope. and. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel like we don't do enough talk around that. Not only would it have changed, like, if you sit with that. I sat with that last summer and I just, I love myself. I played with that and I was like, damn. Because not only would it have changed the landscape for the players, you wouldn't just have one Black person being an owner of a team. It would have changed advertising dollars. Like, Oh, my freaking goodness. You're talking about leverage. And isn't that so sad that the black men chose? Keep going because we could be here all day on that. Well, let me just let me let me the bargaining power.
0: Yeah. But, you know, that is that is a product of white supremacy that we don't trust our bargaining power. And that's what white supremacy has enforced us to believe. I mean, you just think about not only if, if the, every athlete who is from the global majority said, we're shutting it down. We want ownership. We want this. We want that. We want the other. What choice? What choice? And so that's why we have to consider global majority dollars and the unity of that and how that can change the standard. And it's not just athletic. Right. If every black person who
1: works for the city is starting next Tuesday, they ain't going to work. Baby, y'all don't got mail, public transportation. Nobody is answering the phone at the hospital, at the mayor's office. Come on now. I love this idea of like a day without black people.
0: I love that too. And I think it should be a day that's outside of Black History Month. And we just need to just... And not not Juneteenth. Well, they took Juneteenth away by making it a holiday anyway. But And why
1: everybody who off on Juneteenth ain't even black? But okay.
0: I can't. You don't even understand the...
1: It needs to be a random day. Can we do that for a second? That's not on your agenda. But can we just do that? So first of all, it needs to be like once a year, don't tell nobody. So nobody knows, right? So they don't even know. Like if we had a secret meeting, This <laughs> year it's August 5th, right? So so it don't be the same, right? It don't be the same. So you never know. Like people never know. Like literally don't people, you don't think, you don't think go away from what's. To- and it's like,
0: put it on your mind. I-, I just need you to know. It's a thing. One a thing. day. And, and, and they- you know, yes, shut it down. Stay home. You know, rest. Do what you need to do. And then on another day, you don't spend. Don't spend a dime. Don't spend a dime anywhere unless it's black dollars and for black business.
1: And on that day where we all like take the day off, like a day without black people, I like to think that, we're we doing Frankie Beverly-style barbecues. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what else would we be doing? We, none of us working today. No invitation when anybody here. at I feel like that. So it, it doesn't matter if it's your partner or your best friend or your pastor who's not Black. If you're not diasporic, all right? Now, we don't care how you're in the diaspora, but if you're not diasporic, you can't come to the barbecue, and yes. that needs to be okay. Yes. So it's- your wife is white; like, she needs to be okay with the fact that, hey, once a year, you know, my partner goes to the Black folks' stuff, and I got to be okay with that.
0: That's a true, true interracial relationship. That's, that's, when I do therapy with, or, or couples work with, interracial couples, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, Right. And that's, is. that's, that makes perfect sense. And that's absolutely what we should do. Look, here's the thing, Kina, I already know we going into another show because this is fire. So I'm going to sign off for a minute and we're going to close this segment and we're going to get back and talk about one more quote and then your business and, and mm-hmm. give that all the props. Okay. All right. So do you want let, me to stay on the call? Yeah, yeah, just, just, okay. just stay here. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's the show for today. And uh, we're going to see you next time with more Kina. So um, I'm going to have you put your handles in there so people can find you to hear more. Yes. But first, I want to say, you know, you're amazing. I appreciate your work. I follow you. I track what you do. I I just feel so engaged and so uh enthusiastic and less discouraged. Uh, knowing a sister like you is out there doing what you do. So thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank
1: you. Thank you for honoring me by inviting me and thinking that I have something valuable to share with your listeners.
0: Absolutely. So give your handles, please. I got 5011 Noble. Oh. I know. do <laughs> do <laughs> Well, give the main one when they can find the other ones. You got a
1: link tree? Yeah, Alger. I haven't been winning Twine. out here. So you can find me on Instagram, dialecting for whiteness and also the Anti Blackness Reader Project. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Watina Reed. Yeah, it's like Joaquin, but without an A. You can find me. Those are the major places people can find me on social media. I do the TikTok sometimes. All right, it's sporadic because that's young people' cool stuff. Same thing with Elon less internet. You know what? I sometimes I tweet. I can listen. I don't want to fool with that that man. I don't want no, to. I don't want to fool with that man. I don't oh. know what they've been doing over there. So, okay. and then and ten, I have two websites. So if you want to do business with me, J Reed Consulting LLC. If you want to book me for speaking right now, I am currently booking for June Team speaking engagement. And so you can find me at WakiaReed.com. J-O-Q-U-I-N-A-R-E-E-D.
0: Sis, thank you for this time together, sharing this space, your knowledge. I appreciate you really very much. So I'm, I'm glad you're in the world doing what you do. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank and you. if I said anything that pissed people off, come find Tina. Don't find <laughs> J.D. I
0: hey, hey, we sisters. They can find both of us. I got you. Don't worry about it. I got you. All thank right. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Be well. I'll be Bye. in touch. Bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.